Welcome to episode 19 of the Walls Within podcast. Today we're joined by Brandon Williams, an accomplished leadership business speaker, leadership coach, major airline pilot, and adjunct professor. He is the founder and owner of LeadTech, a leadership development firm whose mission is to develop and equip leaders of high-performing teams. Brandon also shares with us his experiences as an Air Force F-15E fighter pilot and how he overcame fear as a young person in order to achieve his goals. He gives us an inside look at his proven philosophy on how leaders can make better decisions in the midst of complex and uncertain environments. Finally, we'll discuss 12 human factors roadblocks known as the Dirty Dozen that can stand in the way of success and mission completion. Brandon graduated from the United States Air Force Academy and served a combined 20 years in the U.S. Air Force and Air Force Reserves. He's married with two children and currently lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Brandon, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Um, obviously, a wealth of knowledge and experience and uh, somebody that I've known for just a, a super long time, like 27 years. I think it's pretty cool. We were reminiscing uh, about some of our past and uh, and uh, and that. So it's pretty, pretty neat. So we're we're going to talk specifically about, you know, the, the tone of our overall podcast here is mental performance, right? It's talking about individual performance, but we're going to talk about the team aspect and how individuals plug into that and the things that they bring both the positives and the baggage the negatives that they bring and how we can kind of tweak those behaviors into something that allows us to work towards a goal as a team but improves on the individuals and so it's uh it's really interesting that the experiences of, of fighter pilots and of professional athletes and those team skills that we have really lend themselves to just about any line of work that, that relies on interpersonal relationships to perform. So one of the things that, that you talk about with LeadTAC is you says, it says you help business leaders understand the human factors of leadership. Now for two pilots, human factors is, is a common uh, term that we use, but we're gonna introduce that to what it may mean for somebody that doesn't fly airplanes. Right. And then how to lead change in high performing teams and how to mitigate human error in complex and uncertain environments. So my question for you, is first off, what inspired you in, in throughout your robust career of, of being a fighter pilot, right? Of training future fighter pilots, then of being a, a college instructor, and then being a being a captain for a major airline. Like how does all of that experience and things that you've experienced lend itself to, to LeadTech and to, to your business of doing this? And and so I'm really kind of curious to pick your brain on uh, on that. So uh yeah. yeah. Well, a great question. Great way to start out, Dave. And Dave and Curtis, again, thank you for, for having me on. And uh, I love what you guys are doing. So I, I greatly appreciate that and, and very excited to be here. Um, but but that question is kind of twofold for me, I think. Um, first of all, going a little deeper than that, you know, the whole idea of, of starting a venture, what, no matter what kind of business it is. And I look back way back um, to when I was a young child, I think back that some of the things I experienced and changed. So when I was very young, I was very shy, very quiet, very reserved, had a lot of fear to, to, as a lot of people do, to kind of get into new things, start new things. And I'd kind of shy away from things because not because I didn't want to do it because I was just, just so much fear, I guess, you know, and, and, and just, just a very shy, reserved person. And then I look at that development as I got into middle school and then high school and middle school, I really got into sports. I mean, for whatever reason, I gravitated towards football. And that was kind of my, 
thing, you know, my friend groups and, and all this self-confidence that started coming out. And I started venturing into, you know, getting into lifting weights and, and starting new things just because of one thing that gave me some confidence and, and really under looking back on. And this all goes back to fear, you know, really understanding what fear really is and, and, and what it does. And so more experience I had go to the Air Force Academy, you know, going through that, experiencing a lot there, um, eventually going to Air Force pilot training, which I tell people all the time, it's one of the most challenging years of my life in terms of it was, it's not exactly a, a marathon, but it's not a sprint either. <laughs> it's kind of a crawl, you know, it's, it's definitely a fire hose effect, but it's a year long yeah. or more. Um, and so, and there were times in that, that program, I mean, at the time that I remember thinking back, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't know if I'm going to be able to fly fighters. I don't know. And that's what I wanted to do since I was a, you know, a kid. Um, and so you look back at all that and then go into a fighter squadron. And as you know, the challenges there, the constant upgrades, it's constant trying to get better, the constant intense practice and, and training we do and what to focus on. But I look back at all those challenges and I look back at the, you know, when I really think back, you know, looking at all the, why was I so shy? Why did these obstacles, I mean, the person I was at 25 is different than I am 35 and different than I am now. And person I'll be at 45 is different than who I am now, but you know, could have, would have, should have, but you look back and you think about the fear that just stopped you from doing so many things. And, and when you really, the older I've gotten, the more I've talked about this, I really look at when you really start understanding what fear is, you know, it's, it's, it's just a human emotion. I mean, it's, it's just something, if you can really understand that, Hey, Brandon, you know, this, what you're feeling, it's natural. It, it, it's your body telling you you're about to doing something that you're not sure of, but it shouldn't stop you. You know, it shouldn't, it typically the outcome and it's a survival technique. It's, it's, it's designed. It's how we're designed. It's supposed to do that. That's why we survived for so long. But the problem is in the very comfortable world we live in today, our, our fear doesn't understand that we're not getting chased by a, you know, tiger, like, you know, whatever, trying to, trying to survive. So I mean, it's a roadblock to many, many it things is. That people want to do. And the reason I tell you all that is because that was the first thing was, was got out of the air force, you know, got a job with a major airline, always wanted to start a business as well. That kind of started when I was in the air force, I kind of started thinking about this. Hey, I want to start a business. I want to start a business. So that was part of it. You know, always wanting to overcome that challenge. Can I do it? Can I do sales? Can I build content? Can I, you know, go out and, and, and sell something and build something and make it my own and grow it and things like that. So that's the first thing. The second thing where I got the idea for it was thinking about, you know, Dave to our experiences and thinking about what I, you know, when I came out of the air force academy going to pilot training, and when I came out and from that young 20 something year old or in my young twenties, and then just a few years later, I find myself like over the skies of Iraq. And here I am literally at the controls of this 50 to a hundred million dollar piece of military equipment. And the U S government has trusted me to go out and make decisions. I mean, decisions that could literally cause strategic implications if I make the wrong or bad decisions. Right. And so I look at that and how did we set our teams up? How did we understand, you know, Number one, from a leadership standpoint, how we lead people through those environments in dynamic complexity, uncertainty, but also the human factor side of that. How do the human was never designed to jump in that airplane with these, you know, 200 switches, dials and displays, go faster than the speed of sound, keep track of other teammates or wingmen while you're also trying to figure out, you know, weather, terrain, the enemy, what things are moving all is so very fast. I mean, we, we're not designed to, to, you know, do all that at a very, very high level. So how we trained, how we set up organizations, yeah. how we did that, but it all goes back to the more I, I study this, it all goes back to human factors. And so how we as humans interact with our environments, but that was the idea behind 
my whole company, you know, what, what I'm doing, Dave, was number one, I've, I've always wanted to do that. I wanted to start a business. And then several years ago, I got into speaking and I, I discovered that I really loved it. Um, I was good at it and, or at least I think I was good at it. And it's just something I went out like, this is what I want to do, you know, in terms of uh, also flying airplanes for major airlines. So I get to do that as well. But, but it, it just, I just, I feel myself very fortunate to be able to do something like that. Um, but that, that's really what the idea behind it was and how you really develop leaders who understand not just strategic leadership, but what I call tactical leadership, you know, how we as humans are wired, how you understand how people interact in their environments. Cause that's really what it comes down to um, when you talk about leading people. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting because the way, the way I, the, the visual that I have is you taking kind of a plug out of your brain and trying to plug it into other people because it is not intuitive right. what, what we did and do on a daily basis in the fighter world. It is not, right. it is not a natural thing. It is something that absolutely has to be trained. Nobody's ever going to say, Oh, he was born a fighter pilot. That's right. it's completely categorically false. Like you have to become that through, right. through a program, through training. Right. So now you take all this experience and thanks for sharing that with us. But like, so how do you take all those lessons and you've built a curriculum? Like you've got this curriculum of going, all right, here's the human factors. Here's the things that we did. And, and, you know, it's funny because if you asked me to do what you have done and write out and build a plan to teach somebody, I wouldn't even know where to start. <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to start. And you've built a business around it, which is amazing. And, and, and if anybody goes to his website, it's a pretty high level companies in there. Like this isn't, this isn't just, um, you know, Bob's discount tire and down the street, Atlanta, you know, we were talking about some pretty high end, you know, big time companies. And so how did you start building that? And then, and then really what, what is the overall gist of your curriculum? Like what specifically you're trying to do? Cause, cause I looked at your info sheet and, and I don't want to steal your thunder, but like, how do you take those lessons that we learned and, and Curtis, I think the same exact thing for your experience, right? Because if you were to take the leadership lessons and the team lessons and the things that you learned throughout your, your pro career, you would be able to equally build the curriculum, but the idea of doing that, does that not sound really hard to do? Yeah, and, like and then that fear aspect comes in too, right? Uh, right. Really just tremendous. And it, you know, I think as an athlete, I think this is where a lot of athletes run into that wall, right? Is they have this expertise and this knowledge, and then all of a sudden their career wraps up at a very early age. And what do you do with it? Well, the natural progression is just coaching. And I'm sure it's the same for fighter pilots. Well, let's just stay in the Air Force and continue doing what we've been doing for the past maybe 20 years. It's safe. Mm -hmm. It's something we know how to do. But so, so, so go, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, it's, it's a great lead into the question you had, you know, because I think a lot of what you're talking about, Curtis, um, is, and I talk about this in my, in my speaking is, one of the worst human errors, but one of the ones it's a natural state for us as humans, unfortunately, is complacency. You know, we, yeah. we like habit. We like to be comfortable. I mean, again, it's the way we're wired. Unfortunately, that doesn't always make you better um, in the world we live in. You know, maybe it's good for survival and just to get by, yeah. but to your point, Curtis, you know, we, we, you know, whether it's a professional athlete or a fighter pilot or business person or whatever, you know, a lot of times you hear people say, Hey, we just plateau. Well, a lot of times we choose to plateau, whether we know it or not. And, you know, that idea in, in building that, and this goes into your question, Dave, but you said, how do you start that? How do you do that? Well, 
it's it's a lot of times what I talk about is you know where's your focus? I mean, if you think about Dave, you just said you're like, well, I could never do that. I could never write all this out. Well, that's because you're thinking about everything you have to do, right? And it's something we don't do well when you understand the human mind and how we think. We don't do well when we think about the 15 to 20 things we have to do, right? Um, you know, Curtis, I'm sure if you think about a whole you know hockey season, all these teams you would have to play and all the everything, the travel schedule and everything, you're like, oh my gosh, dude, how am I going to get through this? But what do you do? You take it what one game at a time, one practice at a time, one you know, drill at a time, whatever. And same thing. Um, you know, that's how we did it, you know, in, in the air force day, you know, how we, from day one of pilot training, it, it, we don't go out and say, okay, go out and fly tactical formation. You know, it's, it's, right it's basics, man. Next, <laughs> how do you start the, the airplane? Grade. You know, let's get yeah. to the ground ops, yeah. you know? So one grade but same thing, time. same thing, man. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's, you know, I got to build a network. How, who, who's going to be my target audience? Who, who do I know already that can help me get going here? you know, kind of getting that, that momentum going. I kind of, like I said, I, I started speaking about eight or nine years ago, just doing some other stuff. And I found out that I was, again, I really enjoyed it. So I said, okay, how do I, you know, capture more of this? How do I kind of, kind of do my own thing here? And how do I um, build this network? So, you know, build a network. Okay. Let's, what's my, uh, how I'm going to market myself? How am I going to brand myself? You know, what do I, what do I want to do? And kind of just, taking those things one piece at a time. And it, slowly what you'll start to see, I, and I, I just kind of came this realization a few months ago. Like I look back a year or two where I was and you'll see I have more and more clients, more and more events, more, and it just slowly starts to build, you know, momentum. But again, you can't just go there in one week. It, it, it's, it's that building block approach. That's really how I've, I've kind of done it. And when I look back at how we capture those leadership lessons learned, if you will, from my time, what I, what I developed was I looked back on, again, my time as a fighter pilot and airline pilot and some other things we did in the military. And don't get me wrong. Some of my lessons are not just relegated to fighter pilots. It, it's, there's several areas and teams in the military where many of these things are the same thing, yeah. Yeah. but I said, okay, here's what we did. You know, whether it's, you know, you talk about commander's intent and, and focus and alignment, or you talk about situational awareness and, and how we talk about that all the time. And I said, okay, here's what we did. But then I said, why does that work? And how do, how do people understand that? And that's where I brought my human factors training in, which, you know, I was a Air Force safety officer, which meant I went to Air Force safety school. So what that means is I was trained to, if there's ever an Air Force mishap, we're trained to go in and investigate it and find out why that happened. And really what that's all about is human factors. You know, there, there's a human decision in every single aviation mishap out there. And so I take that same idea and applied it to business or other teams or organizations, but I combined that with, you know, what we did as fighter pilots and in that world and said, well, this is why this worked because we were doing a lot of things, whether we knew it or not, that really related back to how humans interact with their environment, you know, how a pilot in that cockpit fly that F-15, why this training method works, why you focus on, Hey, if I'm flying at 500 feet off the ground at, you know, doing 600 miles per hour, why my instructors told me, hey, Brandon, your focus needs to be outside because guess right. what? One degree nose low at this speed, this altitude, you're going to smack the ground in about what? Two to three seconds or yeah, something like time, that. So I remember the time to diet charts. Exactly. So you yeah. disregard all these other, and, and yeah. well, you don't disregard everything. I mean, you still got to look at your altitude and your airspeed, but for the most part, those are the only two cross checks we call it that you're looking inside. Otherwise you're outside. Um, but, but, but the reason we do that, because we know the human mind can't focus on more than right. about maybe two, maybe three things effectively. Um, and so I kind of combined those two and that's where I really got the content for that. So it's not just me telling stories about, yeah. 
you know, what I did, but it's, this is why this works. And, and I bring in other examples from, from other industries and other companies and, and things like that. And, and Curtis, you know, that a lot of that applies because I've used sports examples as well directly to a special professional athlete. So that's kind of, you know, how you did it. I would say if I could yeah. describe it, you start small and, and like anything else. Right. And then where I came up with the content was kind of combining both of those, those areas. So, so let me put a, let me put you on the spot a little bit because I read through your website and yeah. I'm going to ask you a question that you ask on your info sheet. And it says, how do effective elite teams maintain focus on important goals and strategic initiatives? So if you were going to summarize that, answer your own question. How, how do they do it? How do you do it? What do you leverage? Is there, what is the secret sauce? You know, for somebody that's listening to a 45 minute to 60 minute podcast, right? We're not going to be able to go through your whole curriculum because it's awesome. Right. Right. But what is the secret sauce? What do you right. Think? Well, it, it, again, the, the idea goes back to understanding how we're wired. So I talked about, we don't do well thinking about everything, right? All these things we have to do, but we do what the human does really well while we've developed, built so many things over, you know, the time of humans on this earth and, and developed so many things and technology and while we've evolved and how we can do things. So when we focus on something, we're very good at that. We're very, that's how we're designed to do, right? Go out and yeah. find food and, and bring it home and cook. You know, we're, we're very good at the things we have to do right at that moment. So we as leaders have to understand that as well. And so Dave, from the military standpoint, you know, commander's intent, you know, what, what was the idea behind that? Well, yes, it's a very clear defined in-state picture, right? So it's, it's not how you want to do something, but this is what I need done. This is what the in-state looks like, you know, go and do that. And despite what people may understand about the military and elite military teams, you know, we were highly autonomous, actually, um, especially in the world we came from. I mean, we had to be separated hundreds of miles from any type of leadership authority. You've got, you know, young 20 somethings running a formation and making decisions because you have to. But in order to do that, you have to have a very clear end state. But more importantly than that is part of commander's intent is that intense focus. And that intense focus, what you have to do as a leader, you know, when I talk to these business leaders or, or leaders of organizations, they always say, well, um, and I'm like, what are your goals, you know, for this year, this quarter? And it's, oh, we get in the list, like, you know, 10 or 15 things. I say, okay, that's good. But what, what is your focus? What, what two to three do you really want to prioritize and focus on? And like, well, we got to do all these. I'm like, I get that. But <laughs> how well do you focus on 10 to 15 things at once? You know, you yeah. can't. So driving an intense focus and alignment, you really have to narrow that down for your people. Now that's at a strategic level, but I say that that can go at any level, way more tactical. I mean, think if you're a sales leader of a just, you know, five to seven person sales team and you have a, you know, you have a, a, a monthly goal for them or, or some monthly uh, focus for them. You know, you've got to focus that down for them. And even as an individual level, Dave, I mean, we can do that. You know, we can. Again, I keep using the sales example because it's a really good one, because say you've got to do, you know, in one day you want to, you're going to make uh, 20 calls and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to, I've got to have at least, I don't know, I'm just doing a number here, two warm leads after these 20 calls. You know, the point is you're focusing down on that very intense thing versus thinking, okay, I've got to do all these calls. I've got to get all this information. I've got to do this. I got to do that. You know, you've got that intense focus. So it goes down to defining that very clear end state, but making sure that end state is very focused in its nature and not asking your people to do five or asking yourself to do five to 10 different things in a day, a quarter, a month, or a year. 
so that's really what it comes down to is, is how do you really, you know, make that intense uh, focus and alignment. And I'll give you a quick example, if you want, from a, from a military sure. standpoint. Yeah. I always use D-Day as, a, I think, a great example of, of commander's intent and focus. So if you know anything about D-Day in terms of, you know, the actual execution, yeah. you know, the weather was not great, but they said, we're going to go. We have to go now. And the initial execution of it in terms of the uh, paratroopers behind enemy lines, the gliders, it was actually, it would have been, look, if you're looking at it from a big picture standpoint, you're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be a failure. It's going to be a disaster. Oh. I mean, there were units separated yep. miles away, gliders crashing, gliders not landing they're supposed to. I mean, but yeah, what happened? In trees yeah, and in trees. I mean, just yeah. chaos, you know, fog of war, 100%. Yeah. Um, but what you saw is individual soldiers, you know, getting together, like people that had never even met each other, uh, getting together, small teams banding together, and they start making their own objectives. But they only did that. They could do that because their commander's intent was very clear and focused, which was, hey, capture key lines, communication, cut off roads. You know, that's what we're trying to do. And that's what they did. Hey, let's start moving. Move this way. That's what we're going to do. We're going to cut off these roads, you know, do this, cut off lines, communication. And obviously the rest is history. But I use it as an example because I think that's just a great way to kind of, you know, show that, you know, yes, it's a clear defined end state, but it's also a very intense focus. It, it demonstrates the autonomy that that commanders or more broadly applied leaders can give right. their people to say, look, this is the overall objective, but here I'm going to empower you to do these subcategory things to, to contribute to that overall objective. And so figure right. out a, a creative way to make that happen. And it, I think it's no different with elite teams. It's no different with a, with a teammate on a professional sports team that's, that's got their eye on the prize of winning a championship. But now they individually have to apply what they can do to make that happen. And Curtis, you've talked robustly on, on multiple podcasts about your experience and how your role on the team kind of changed and morphed from when you were a rookie to your finishing up. And it's interesting because I view that as you were given really the commander's intent, which is to, to be, to be a, a goalie. Uh, and and to win games and and keep your team on the path to championship, but also like what is this several like things that you can do? So I mean, I, that that first and foremost resonates with me. What do you think? Yeah, it's great. And what's interesting to me, and and obviously my world, based in the athletic environment, is well, we all had a singular goal. And for hockey, obviously, it's the Stanley Cup, right? And then everybody has their own individual personal goals inside that ran and i'd love to hear like just from a corporate setting like you know when you're dealing with a company that may have thousands or tens of thousands of employees you know a hockey team's got 24 players on it staff coaches you know that's maybe under 50 people and there's just one objective right and that's to capture the stanley cup at the end of the year so like how how do you get leaders to convey um just that sense of importance in their goals that they're trying to accomplish as a company. Like how does everyone buy into something like that? Because it seems, you know, from an athletic point of view, it's, it's pretty simple. The concept is pretty easy to grasp, right? We just mm -hmm. want the trophy at the end of the year, but right. what's the incentive for just a, an employee maybe at the bottom of that rung to really buy into the message that these leaders are trying to sell? Well, and I'll kind of start that with a question for you, Curtis, in terms of, cause you make a great point, you know, win the Stanley cup, right? It, it, that's, that's it. And there's not much more to say about that because if you don't want to do that, then you're in the wrong place anyway. Right. So, 
but but let me ask you this why why was that what drove that was it a you know when you say win the stanley cup was it a you think players or your teammates were thinking or people in your organization were thinking well financial rewards or do you think they were thinking more the sheer emotion of being being number one at the pinnacle of what you do and i think you're probably going to say well it's being the pinnacle of what you do, right? It's that emotion. Yes, of course, there's other things that go with that. Sure. Um, and then you have your own individual goals of, of if you want to, you know, when you're talking professional athletes, get a better contract, all that kind of stuff. I get that. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But really, at the end of the day, the biggest driver, the biggest emotion is, is being able to hold, you know, having your day with a cup or, you know, having that idea, seeing yourself one day, you know, your team surrounded by it you're on the ice or you're, you know, after you just won and you're all celebrating and everybody's going crazy and, and you've got that, you, you've achieved that level pinnacle essentially of, of what you do. And so I think that's the driver and the same thing in business, you know, how do you get people to buy in? And I think it's, we've discovered over the years, yes, there, there are some things that financial rewards can do. Absolutely. Um, but at the end of the day, what really drives humans, what really connects us with that is that emotional, um, that emotional win, you know, and, and how you do that as leader is what's the why behind what we're doing? You know, why do we want to do this? And, and like, for example, um, I just worked with a big biotech company and they were doing a lot of great things, but a lot of times they get just bogged down into the numbers and the goals. And, and I'm like, look, look at what you're doing. I mean, you're doing a variant. You're literally extending life or giving life, you know, helping people live a better, I mean, look at the why behind what you're doing. So when you're, you're crunching, getting frustrated, and it's just not working out. Remember, in, a, in addition to, to you know, your financial gains, look at what you're actually doing, what this organization is doing. I mean, if you do your part, they do their part, we all do our part. Well, look at what, you know, how you're making the world a better place. I mean, it sounds a little cliche, but it, it's so true. And having that human connection behind why and what you're doing, that, that brings back that, you know, when, when you talk about the worlds we work in now, we don't really think of it as a your work group or your team, maybe the, the organization we do, we have, we, we're a little bit better at it, but like in the business world and other organizations, that kind of tribal mentality of we're all in this together and we're doing a lot here, you know, that, that's kind of hard to relay sometimes. So the more you can do that, which I think is, is again, really conveying that why behind what you do. And that's what, that's how a lot of great leaders make their mark. I mean, anybody can set strategy, yeah. you know, sometimes we pick the wrong strategy, but, but the ones that are really well are the ones that can really convey that and say, look, here, here's what the end looks like. Look, think of, you know, salespeople, what do they say? You don't just, you know, you're going to go buy a, uh, say you want to, you're going to put up a picture, right? And you need a hammer and a nail. Well, when you, you get different stores, you can go to to buy a hammer and a nail, right? But if you have a store that can tell you, well, I'm not just selling you a hammer and a nail, I'm selling you the experience of, Look how well this is going to hang that picture in your room. This is going to hold any picture you want to do, but you're, one day you're going to see your family up there. It's going to make you feel better. You know, you're going to remember all these things. Look, I'm not, I'm not even telling you the benefits of that hammer and nail. I'm selling you that experience, right? Same thing. You're selling people the why behind what they're doing, that emotion of, you know, um, what they're going to feel like when they, do. again, Stanley Cup, that's, that's pretty given, right? But you've got to be able to convey that as, as leaders and, and really express that. So I feel like the inspiration behind com communicating commander's intent, right? The inspiration behind it takes for the individual leader, for those of you listening that are in those roles, whether you're leading your family or leading people at your job, 
you've got to be in touch yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you're not inspired by what you're doing and you're not feeling that, that sort of uh, spirit about it, it's going to be impossible to put that on somebody else. And we've yes. seen that. We, the oh, yeah. three of us have seen the leaders that, that fake the inspiration. They fake the why and they go up there and like, yeah, you know, but you're like, I'm not convinced because I know that you don't really believe that. Well, Dave, your I mean, actions or whatever, you know, think about, I mean, and, and so this is a full disclaimer as well. I mean, I, a lot of my stuff I talk about is clearly based on my experiences in the military. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There are plenty, plenty of bad leadership examples yeah. that I experienced. Okay. Dave, I know you've experienced probably, you know, and sometimes, those are more, them together. <laughs> sometimes those are more powerful, you know, than, than in, or in some ways very powerful because it shows you what you don't want to do. But to your point, how many times have you been in a, a meeting and a, a commander or whatever level walks up and starts telling you got to do, we got to do that. And you're like, dude, you, you don't even believe that. Like you, right. I can tell right. that you tell don't you've even been told to tell me that. Like it's Curtis, like, you've probably experienced that too, whether it's other teammates that, you know, you're like, man, you're supposed to be a leader, but you're not even believing what you're saying or, or kind of what you're trying to encourage other people to do or coach or whatever. Um, but you're exactly right, man. You, you can see through that hundred percent. Interesting. So we started out, we talked about commander's intent. And so I asked you, what's the sauce? We got commander's intent. Are there any other things that we can rattle off and tick down that kind of are that, are that secret sauce, if you will? Yeah. Well, I won't go deep, deep into the stuff because I know we don't have time, but, but you're right. Commander's intent is kind of that first part. And there's three other parts I talk about. Okay. Uh, just very high level here. Uh, situational awareness, right? Yep. which goes back to, you know, awareness of our surroundings, awareness of my current state, but more importantly, how these variables are affecting me right now, what it's going to put me or where my future state is going to be based on these variables. Okay. So clearly flying an airplane, that is crucial, right? Where's my airplane right now? Where's it going to be, you know, in the next few minutes or the next few miles? I mean, flying a major airliner, I can't wait till I'm right next to a thunderstorm to say, okay, I got to do something. Right. So I'm building that situation awareness up, whether it's my radar, weather radar, talking to air traffic control, you know, whatever, you know, looking at my eyeballs, making a plan of which way we're going to go, the best course of action. Um, So situation awareness, awareness of your surroundings. And that really goes into decision-making, some other things. Um, Decentralized execution, which again, goes back to that highly autonomous teams. Right. Um, but when you talk about autonomy, autonomy without some type of accountability is dangerous. So, you know, but, but when I say accountability, like I said, that a lot of times I get to me, when I hear accountability, I think of like that vice principal type of accountability, like, you know, do this or else type, type idea, which it gets a negative contact. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about peer accountability. Um, You know, because so many studies, Harvard Business Review did a study and said, you know, the, the highest performing teams colleagues or peers own accountability. And Dave, you and I called it mutual support, yeah. you know, in, in, in the world we come from. And we knew, I mean, we learned way early on, probably going back to World War I, that when we first started using airplanes in a military setting, that going out as a singleton in a high threat, complex, dynamic environment is extremely dangerous and just not smart. And so that's evolved over the years, how we do that. But that idea of mutual support, and it's not just, the idea, I mean, it's twofold. You're supporting each other because not only are you worried about your own accomplishments and your own what you're going to do, but you're also focused on, you know, the betterment of the team. More importantly, I'm worried about here you're going to do, Dave. 
And the only way you can do that is, is really through, again, that tribal mentality is knowing each other, that human connection, you know, yeah. Curtis, you from a, I know from a sports standpoint and day from us, I think we did that extremely well in the worlds we came from. It was just kind of naturally embedded the people you work with, the people you play with, you know, you, you got to know people and that was just so powerful. And so that's something I try to relay as well is if you really want that pure accountability, that mutual support, that really autonomous organization, you've got to have that built in, you know, camaraderie to drive that. And then finally, the fourth piece is, is what I call just culture. And that's not something I coined that comes actually from the uh, aviation safety world. And it's an idea of a non-retributional environment. So anybody can speak up no matter what your background is, what your role is, what your title is, how long you've been there. Um, we can all go into a room, talk about what went right, what went wrong, but for the betterment of the organization. And it's not a, and we, I know you guys have talked about debrief before uh, on this podcast. I've, I've heard it. And again, that comes from the fighter pilot world, obviously. And, you know, we come from a world where you have Uber type A personalities, not to mention a, a rigid rank structure uh, where someone literally, you know, controls your assignment and your life in, in, in many ways and what you're going to do after this. But we have the ability to go in a room and take that off and say, look, here's what we did wrong. Here's what we did right. Here's what we're going to do better next time. And it's, it's not an investigation. It's not about assigning blame, but it's about, you know, making the team better. But I say that because the only way to do have that just, you have to have that just culture first. I mean, you can't just go tomorrow and start going to a room. Let's talk about what we did right and wrong. It's going to, it's not going to go well. You've got to have that, that underlying idea. And, and the way I always tell people the way to start that is, is leaders have to hold themselves accountable first and people have to see that. Um, and people have to see you do that as a leader. If you're a leader in an organization and going back to your human performance standpoint, I said, you got to be honest with yourself many times yeah. and you got to be honest. Yeah. With, and I've had to, that's something I always have struggled with and continue to struggle with is, you know, I debrief myself on, on certain things or a, a certain week or a certain event or this or that. Okay. Let's really look at it. What did I do? Well, what did I not do? Well, and sometimes maybe I ask others to look at it, but really you've got to, when you come down to a human's performance standpoint, being honest and holding yourself accountable and bringing in others to help you hold yourself accountable, I think is, is, is really important. Yeah. So that's kind of the four main areas of it, if you will. I mean, there's so much more to go into, but that's, that's kind of, you know, wraps up or, or kind of summarizes human factors leadership, as I call it. Yeah. So it's interesting because as I, as I peel all these back, they're very near and dear to me. And I, and I can go into each of these at length as you bring them up. Commander's intent, situational awareness, decentralized execution and accountability to your teammates, and then just culture. Mm -hmm. And we talked pretty, pretty in depth about commander's intent, situational awareness. I think the, the thing that I, when I hear that, I think of communication. When you're talking about interpersonally, it's it's communicating. It's it's hearing the needs of somebody else to develop the sense of what the overall team needs. And if I'm listening to everybody else and hearing what they're saying, then I've got a pretty good sense of what my piece of that puzzle is. And I think that right. that's situational awareness. Then decentralized institution, we're talking about this. Curtis, I know it's no different in the hockey world as it is in the fighter world. You go to parties at people's houses. Not only am I getting to know my teammates, but I'm getting to know my teammates' families and their kids. And if I think about failure in my role, I think what that failure may mean to somebody on my wing. And if they fail, now I've not only let them down, I've let down their spouse and their their children and, and what they're trying to do and their family goals, and I've let them down. And in the case of flying fighter jets in combat, 
the implications are are far greater. And and I've been in the situation where I've had to look a spouse in the eye and say their husband isn't coming home. Mm-hmm. And so it's life or death. And th- and you may be listening to that going, well, nobody, you know, in my job in, in company XYZ, nobody's asking me to lay my life on the line. But if you think about it from that perspective, could you do that? And but they could lose their job. They, I mean, your friend could. could lose their job. Your friend yes. could get a demotion. I mean, that's it, it is all relative. And that is exactly right. It is no, it is no. Um, less impacting because it doesn't involve your 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 physical life, but it involves your home, your mortgage, your bills, your your tuition at your kids' schools. Things the, like the, that. So. the frame of reference is different, but but the That's human right. interactions, the human factors That's are right. all the exact same. It's all the same stuff. And then finally, just culture, right? So like this non-retaliatory environment that is not the safe space, safety pin sort of stuff that we're talking about. It's it's again, it's an additional measure of accountability. And it's being able to take the rank off and have unfiltered opinions of what's actually happening. And, and we did talk debrief at length, but I think it's super important that you go in the room, close the door, the rank comes off so that you can get the feedback that you need as a leader. And if, if people are afraid to talk to you because they're afraid they're going to get clobbered, then you're never going to really truly know right. what's happening. And so those four things I think are to your point, the, you know, the, the secret sauce of, of this is, is taking those lessons that we've learned and, and applying them in your world. And, and I think, yeah, I think if folks read into these topics, they can really get a wealth of information. Um, that's, so, that's awesome. And just one more thing, Dave, you brought yeah. it up and, and I thought it was a great point um, is you were talking about, you know, roles and communication and situational awareness. And actually under, when I talk about mutual support, I talk a lot of times I'll talk about role establishment which really goes back to not only is it important that you understand what your role is in an organization, but understanding what other teammates roles are, because how can you provide mutual support to someone if you, you don't know what their role is or you don't know what your role is. Right. I mean, so it's very, and that's a job as leaders to, to make sure that's very clear. Um, you know, understanding what your role is on a team because you got to be able to do your job, but you also want to be able to step in when you see Dave stumbling a little bit or, you know, Brandon needs a little support here. I can tell he's right. not, you know, getting this right. for whatever reason. So that's critical uh, part of that as well. Absolutely. So there's one other piece of this that, that we talked about. And one of the things that I, that I kind of is, how do you get this data, right? How do you get what you're talking about? How do you understand when, Mistakes are made because we're not perfect and, and we have these human factor things driving us. And we're going to get into it in a minute here where we're going to talk about the dirty dozen. And I love that you brought that into the conversation. And, I, and I'm going to tease that here for a second. But before we can talk about the dirty dozen of these human factors things is how do we get data as leaders? And it centers on this, this idea of debrief. Mm-hmm. And when our people make mistakes, mm-hmm. if we take those at face value. Somebody makes a mistake we didn't meet commander's intent mm-hmm. or a human factors thing stepped in, one of these 12 things that we're going to talk about. How do you get the data? How do you figure that out? And and you and I, and, and Curtis, I've talked to you. Uh, we had a pretty pretty lengthy conversation on the phone the other night about perception, decision, and execution. And those are the three things that go into typical decision-making Um and, and the variables and the data that people have when they're making decisions, is it how it's perceived? What did they decide to do? And how did they execute the mechanics of it? 
And so those are, again, those are things that we try to pull out of fighter pilot debriefs, but how can we use those ideas of this perception decision execution problem to really get at the root cause of a mistake and improve? Right. Well, this really goes right into just culture and debriefing. Dave, you're exactly right. And when I, my actual debrief model, I have one specific step that it's, it's actually E execution. And what that really means is before you get to the analysis, you've got to get on the same page of what exactly happened. You know, we call the truth data. Curtis, from your standpoint, it's, you know, big eye doesn't lie, right? Watching film. Well, you may have perceptions of, well, you missed this or you didn't do this. But when you go back and watch the film, you're like, oh, this is what really happened. Mm-hmm. Because how many times organizations not like ours that don't do truth data, we start talking about, well, here's yes. what happened. And you're yes. like, that's, yeah, you're like, ah, and people are like, yeah. I don't think, and you're just kind of going off assumptions and assumptions, yeah. as you know, will destroy you. And it's um, critical, like there's no common ground to agreeing what went wrong. Big guy don't lie, get, right? Yeah, like you can't get to the, <laughs> if you can't even agree on what actually happened. I, I have, I mean, then I, just, you, I you can, can never get the truth, right? I just have, whenever I say that, my my high school football coach, I can just still hear him saying, big guy don't lie. Like, That's you know, watch, <laughs> watching the film on Monday or whatever and, yeah. and going, but it's so true. Um, because first of all, you got to get, you got to get that same page. Um, y'all, yeah. you got to be on the same sheet of music first. Let's, let's establish what happened. We're not even doing the analysis. Let's, right. here's what happened. Now you go into that of, of the wise and, and Dave, that goes back to just culture or debrief culture is just opposite of what I call, or you may have seen this is a blame and train culture. Yeah. So blame and train is more of that investigative approach. Well, you know, Brandon, you didn't do this. You know, you didn't, you, you didn't close this cell. You didn't get that because you, you, you don't know how to close. You just didn't do it. There may, there may be some truth to that sometimes, but, um, but, but did Brandon go into that saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to lose this cell today. I'm going to, no. Okay. Nope. In, in the worlds we come from, Curtis, professional athlete, Dave, you and I, nobody gets to our level and shows up to work and just says, I'm not going to do a good job. You know, I'm not giving my hundred percent today. Now we may have a lot of factors affecting us that, that prevents us from doing that, but no we're one trying, shows up consciously trying. typically yeah. saying that, right? And that's with most professional organizations, obviously. So you've got to go in with that, that understanding of that. Then you go to the analysis. And when I talk about analysis, yes, you talk about the how, what were the, what were the active errors that happened? You know, uh, whether someone from marketing didn't give me a piece of material needed before I went to this, this client. Okay, that's the how. Now let's look at why that happened. And that's where you really get into those human errors you're talking about, those dirty dozen or, or whatever human error, whether it's fatigue or complacency or distractions or, you know, lack of communication, you know, all these that come into play. And we want to know that because when you look at this stuff, how you, how you fix these things, it's a very systems-based thinking, right? You know, you're not, I'm not trying to blame and train you. I need to train you up more. Well, maybe you do sometimes. I mean, there's some skill sets need refining, but a lot of times it's about fixing the system. What are the gaps in the system? to make sure this doesn't happen again, whether it's a procedure or, or how we coach or how we train or the drills we do or, you know, whatever it is. And, and Dave, going back to perception, decision, execution, I was just thinking as you're saying that I'm thinking with like my, my nine-year-old who plays uh little league baseball right now. And you, let's say a kid is, is uh, let's, you know, playing a shortstop. Okay. And the, the ball's hit to right field and he doesn't go and cover second when the second baseman's going out to, to fill the ball. Somebody runners at first gets to second. Okay. You may hear a coach just, why, you know, you're not doing that. And, and I see this all the time and I'm like, and I'll, you'll go back and look at it. And you're like, well, look, man, you, he's played shortstop maybe a handful of times in practice, maybe one time in a game. There's been 10 games since then. So number one, 
you know, he hasn't experienced that. He, he doesn't have much. So you go back. First of all, you look at the execution. Okay. He didn't do it. Clearly he didn't execute correctly. Well, let's go talk to him. Why did, did he make the wrong decision? And as you start talking to him, you understand his perception was he didn't know he was supposed to go, you know, cover second or do this or do that. And when you look back at it, it's because, well, honestly, we, we haven't really coached him up much in that. He hasn't really experienced that much. You know, he hasn't really, um, you know, that perception of what he was supposed to do was off. So it's no point even looking at the decision and execution. Let's go look at the perception. Okay, bud, here's what we need to talk about then. When this happens, here's what you want to do, you know, and go through that. Now, that's a very small, you know, microcosm example, but I think it kind of relays that pretty well. And in, in, in terms of, you know, perception, decision, execution, a lot of times in a professional setting, we say, well, you know, we didn't do this or we missed that or we missed that. Well, okay. Execution wise. Well, again, you probably didn't do that on purpose. Maybe there is a skill set. Maybe there's some sales techniques you need to do. Maybe, you know, from a professional sports setting, there's some things we need to work on, but let's go back to the decision process. You know, what was your awareness before you even made that decision? Right. And maybe you you weren't aware of that. Maybe you you didn't do the the right film study. Maybe we didn't focus on the right things. Maybe this t- team presented us some things we weren't expecting, or or things like that. So I think that's important when you really do that analysis again. Of no one shows up just wanting to do a bad job. Okay, you've got to go in with that kind of that kind of thought process, and you got to do that with yourself as well. I mean, when you're analyzing with yourself and say, look, you know, I. I didn't show up. I, I didn't try to fail at this, obviously. So let's look back. Did I even set myself up right? Did I study the right stuff? Did I do the right things leading up before I even made that decision? One of the one of the critical things you said is making analyzing whether or not it was a perception decision problem and, and asking questions. And you didn't outright say it, but you really implied it. I'll outright say it. The only way you're creating that environment where you can get that data is to one, ask open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. You can't ask yes or no questions. And right. you have to create a culture where people feel like they can answer truthfully right. to allow you as the leader to get the data without getting clobbered. Right. And if you haven't established that just culture, people will be guarded. They will lie to you. They will not tell you the truth because they feel like if if they're under the microscope and the truth comes out, that their job is, is, is at risk or their role on the team is at risk. And, and I'll ask you, Dave, you and Curtis as both is, is, I mean, how many times think back in your, your times, your careers, I mean, how many times have you worked for a, a leader and I'll be, use leader in a very broad sense, but yeah. work for someone or played for someone or whatever that they weren't honest with themselves. They weren't, they didn't hold themselves accountable or worse, you know, they would, uh, they would blame others for, for some of their missteps or maybe even worse than that, potentially, you know, burn you or burn a peer, someone under them to kind of cover something they did. I mean, and it's extremely demoralizing and, and you've seen that that'll just shut people down. I mean, again, human factors, what happens when we feel threatened fight or flight, right? And most people in a professional setting are not going to fight. So they're going to just what shut down. They're just going to avoid conflict. I mean, most people want to just avoid conflict. Um, especially in a professional setting. So you're, you're exactly right. I mean, if you don't have leaders that, that set that tone holding, and again, I, I harp on this cause it's so important that really show that they hold themselves accountable. I mean, you can forget, you know, getting any truthful input, you can forget, you know, other people holding themselves accountable. Now, then you've got really nothing, you know, an organization making you better. Curtis, I know you've, you've yeah. seen that. In your career. I, I was just thinking of we're all trying to protect our ego. 
and especially in the world of athletics and professional sports and just the big personalities that are often put in positions. Um, and I've seen the gambit of characters that I've gone through. Obviously, I was on a lot of teams throughout my career. So it's just interesting looking back at those personalities and one, their ability to communicate and two, their ability to receive any feedback. And uh, it's a fascinating world. It's it's one where there needs to be ongoing training. And I think they need to kind of open the pool, at least in terms of hiring certain individuals, because hockey's just kind of recycle everyone. At least that's been the environment. I don't know how it is in a corporate setting, if it's the same way, if you're the CEO of one company and then you just transition to the other, even though you may not have been qualified for that position. So, um, but yeah, I got to imagine that finding good, quality leaders is a incredibly challenging task. Well, and Curtis, I mean, you know, leadership is, I always say this, I, I you know, the, the idea of leaders are born. I completely don't believe that. Now I believe that we're all born with certain skill sets. Yes. You know, some of us have each, each, everybody has their own strength. Right. And so I think some of us are born with a certain skill set. Like some of us are, are good speakers. Some of us are, um, we can communicate really well. We understand human emote. We can connect people really well. Some of us are really good at, at, um, you know, helping people focus, you know, point is we all have different skill sets that, that help us be better leaders, but none of us are born with every single skill set to make you a born leader. Um, to your point, you say, you know, leaders are hard to find and you're exactly right. And I, I think that's the, that should be the goal of organizations is how do we revive or, you know, refine um, you know, some of those skill sets, how do we, you know, we look at it as, you know, like, again, going back to a sports like golf, right? I mean, I'm not great at golf, but it, one of the things I like about it is it's so challenging and it, 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 you it should be so simple. I mean, you're hitting a little white ball with a stick, essentially when you really get down to the most simplest form, but you know, if you've ever done that way more complicated than that, right? Um, I mean, your stance, how you hold the club, how far back you swing, you're thinking about keeping your lower body straight, your head down. I mean, just so many different things that you have to think about. And Nobody leadership is born a great golfer. Yeah, right. Now, some That's of us are born with some skill sets, right? Maybe we, some of us have better hand-eye coordination or whatever, but you're exactly right. You know, none of us are born just to go out and, oh my gosh, you a scratch golfer right away. Like, right. Um, it, it, it takes a lot of, even if you're really good at something, I mean, Curtis, professional athlete. I mean, think about it. Who becomes the best of the best athletes is yes. There's clearly some natural ability there, but the ones that, you know, can take that even to the next level, um, you know, leadership's the same way. You know, how do we, how do we refine that? How do we, you know, make that better? We do that with everything else, like with, with technical skills, you know, flying airplanes or playing hockey, but we don't do that when we talk about leading people, like making a conscious effort to, understand human factors or, or find those skill sets of leadership. I guess one question, sorry, I have just about when working with the leaders and stuff, have you found at any particular age, like, is there an age group that where it really just kind of all comes together and all these pieces just seem to kind of blend? Cause I'm sure, um, you know, obviously life experience, work experience, all plays a factor into it, but is there a certain point in anyone's, working career where it all just kind of begins to meld together and they, you know, I, really I don't know if I can, yeah, I don't know if I can answer that great Curtis, but I will tell you this. Cause I've thought about some things like that, not just from 
a professional business perspective, but just from a life perspective of, you know, when do you actually get it? You know, like when do you, <laughs> you actually get it? And, and I think what I've, I've come to, and I don't even know if this is the right answer and I don't know if there is a right answer, but I think it's when it's, it's a point when it's, it's kind of, I don't want to say too late, but when you're kind of done with all of it, I mean, when you're, you know, you're retired or you're, you're outside of that and, and because of all those life experiences and when you finally get detached from it and you look back and you say, okay, you know, here's, man, if I'd have known this, then, you know, if I'd have known that, then I don't, I don't know if there's a certain age that I could, I could tell you or a certain phase in your life. Clearly the more experience you have, the more things you put yourself through, the more things you've done, the more lessons you've learned. I mean, mentorship has a lot to do with it. I mean, there's so many things that has a lot to do with it. And I think that that path is so different for so many people, but I think, one area where I, th I think that if you look back or, or when I think about it, it's, it's when you've um, just from talking with people, you know, talking to people like my dad who's passed away now, but or, or other older people. And they just tell me all this stuff that if they would have done this or this or this, and here's the, here's the secret sauce to, to life or this or that. I mean, I, I think that it really goes back to when you're kind of finished with all of it. And um, I don't know, that's the best answer I have for that. That's kind of what I've, I've, I've kind of come, I can't really define, I don't think a, a certain age where, certain leaders really get it. I think certain people get it quicker than others sometimes and, and are better at certain things than others, but um, there's just so many different things that go into that, I think. It's the same as athletics. Once you figure it yeah. out, your body starts to find. It's probably too late, right? Well, it's like, Dave will like this quote. It's like situation awareness. You know, how do you know yeah. when you've lost it? Yeah. When it's too late, when you're already in a bad situation, like, oh my gosh, I lost situation awareness like yeah. five minutes ago. Now I've got to get it back. So yeah, you don't you know, have kind it, of a, you don't know you lost it. That's what's dangerous about it, right? <laughs> so, Brandon, what really resonates with me in that and that analysis to Curtis's question is is the idea of detached and look back. Mm -hmm. I look at I look at um, emotionally separating yourself, mm -hmm. which allows you to be more objective yeah. in your view. Mm -hmm. And so, I think if you're a leader, the, the the if you can detach the emotion from your decision making, right? I don't want to detach emotion from what inspires you and from the right. goals and those things. Right. But if you can detach emotion from, from the way you, you decide and make decisions. And then the look back is the reflection, right? Can you look in the mirror and debrief yourself? Mm -hmm. Because there's no harder critic in this world than right. Dave Paolillo to Dave Paolillo. Mm -hmm. and, and so those two things really resonate with me detach and look back like, Holy cow. Those are really two very, very powerful words in this whole discussion. Yeah, I mean, um, I know you guys talked about Jocko. I love Jocko listening to him, and he talks about that all the time, is detaching from a situation. And he's exactly right, and you're exactly right, because you detach from that emotional. And that's another human factors thing, right? I mean, because like it or not, we always make decisions with emo we're humans. We're not going to get yeah. away from that. But the more that you can... Um, detach from that look at that from an objective standpoint and maybe that requires getting some other inputs from other people you're exactly right i think the better your perception will be your decisions will be um yeah that's a that's a phenomenal point though yeah so so let's let's talk about the dirty dozen brandon what is we, we can rattle off the list and and i want to do that just so that our listeners can write these down pause sure. it rewind it and go hey what's the list but i want you to introduce what does the dirty dozen mean to you what is this in this, this conversation of human factors and the things that center around 
the individual people stuff when it comes to leading teams and objectives, what does the dirty dozen mean to you? Right. So when I, when I set my methodology up, you know, I, I set a baseline and I always start my talks and workshops out with this. I say, look, there's an understanding that we work in a very, and Dave, this is going to coin with you as well, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous environment. Okay. VUCA, something that we come from the military world. It's an underlying basis of this is a given, the kind of world we're going to operate in that we have to be able to execute it at a very high level. Uncertainty, complexity, volatility, ambiguity, right? So I tell people, look, the world you operate in, no matter what you do, these teams I work with, you know, we, we work in a lot. You can't get away from it, whether it's the way data moves now, the way we work in remote teams, um, how fast information comes to us, how fast we're expected to perform, you know, to, to get better. It's all defines complexity. But the problem is when you look at a human factor standpoint, what does complexity do to us as humans? Well, we don't like complexity, right? We like simple. Like I said earlier, we like to be complacent. We like habits. But complexity, what it really comes down to, what it drives is human error, okay? And so the whole idea of human factor leadership, actually what I've developed, is really how we as leaders help mitigate that human error of our people. Because you're, ne you're never going to 100% eliminate human error. You just, you, you will not. And as long as humans are involved in anything, there's going to be human error. But we can definitely mitigate it and we can definitely reduce it. And so this idea of the dirty dozen, it, what it really comes from is a, um, I think it comes from uh, actually Canada's, um, their aviation regulatory uh, agency, the equivalent of their FAA, basically developed this several years ago. And it was actually for an aviation maintenance safety viewpoint um, in terms of aviation maintenance. So, you know, the things you want to think about, where are the human errors, where are the gaps in the system? And it's what they came up, Dirty Dozen, 12 of the most common general human errors that they could come up with when in a system. And now, full disclaimer, this is not the end all be all. This is not very, you know, this is not just this. These are the human errors. And it doesn't mean that these are all you have to worry about. But I do think it's great in terms of a general sense for, um, you know, for people to think about. So I, I'll just read them real quick if you want, just so everybody Absolutely. can hear them. Yep. Lack of communication, complacency. Lack of knowledge, distraction, lack of teamwork, fatigue, lack of resources, pressure, lack of assertiveness, stress, lack of awareness, and norms. So, I mean, we could talk all day about these and, and, and yeah. how this happens and gaps, but I do like to pull out, I think, what the most common ones are. And I, I think I've already talked a lot about complacency. Because I, and I say that because I think that's our natural state we want to get back to, you know, whether we like it or not, subconsciously, we want to be complacent. We want to be comfortable. Um, but the other one is fatigue, um, both mental and physical. And I think for, for leaders, it's critical, no matter what type of organization you're in, that you understand um, that people are going to show up with fatigue, whether that's mental or physical. And, yeah. and, and the key with that, though, is really... And this is the important thing of, again, camaraderie, getting to know your people, because you've got to know when people are not all there. Um, again, from a business standpoint, nobody's likely going to lose their life. But, you know, in our world, Dave, that was very important. Um, and, and Curtis, for you, I mean, whether it's a professional sports team or the world we came from, you know, sometimes as a leader, you see someone showing up, hey, man, you've got bigger things you've got to take care of in your life right now, whether that's in the home or maybe something going on with you yourself. And if we're in a, even in Dave, you know, we, we always trained very intensely and every single sortie was so important. 
Yeah. But there were times I've experienced it when, when I had a fellow squatter mate that we identified something like, man, you need to, you know, you need to sit on the sidelines for a few days yeah. and that's fine. Absolutely. We got it. Go, go fix that first. Right. Um, again, mental and physical fatigue. And I get it. We, we, we don't need to lose you right now. We need you. You're a critical part of this. But at the same point, if you don't get this fixed, then it's going to mean worse things for yourself and for the team too. Um, so I think leaders understanding that and how to identify that and making a conscious effort of, of having that awareness, you know, you talked about situational awareness of everybody else. And that's part of it is having that awareness of your teams, of the people you're leading. What are the signs of that? And that really, the only way you do that is if you, you really know people. Yes, um, no. and, and it and things gets like back that. to communication and, and getting yeah. the data. Yeah, for sure. Right. But you know, th those are just some of the, the common yeah. areas when I, I give some, as a kind of a, a starting point for people to think about, you know, you look at, okay, let's, the dirty dozens a starting point to think about what are some of our human errors when we debrief this particular project or this task, you know, when you really look at that, why, okay, well, let's use this as kind of a guide to kind of start with, you know, maybe we didn't communicate well. Okay. Let's look at that. Maybe um, we had a lack of knowledge of this client. Let, let's look at that, you know, things like that. So that's, that's where I kind of use that, but I think it's a great, great starting point, no matter what you do, or even for yourself, again, going back to human performance. Um, I, I think people do this all the time anyway. I mean, they don't even mm -hmm. realize they're doing it, but we make these kinds of decisions in our lives and, and you and I call it risk management. We call it mm -hmm. an operational risk management where we, we're making these decisions. For me, I look at fatigue when I have to go fly and I go, right. look. Today, I can fly an airplane. I'm a one. If I go into work and I'm too tired and I go, you know what? Today, I can't fly an airplane. I'm a zero. To me, I treat that as a go, no go. I can mm -hmm. either fly or I can't. Does that mean I'm perfectly well rested and ready for anything when I say, yes, I can go fly? No, it no. doesn't. So then as I, as I develop this analog scale of I'm either a yes or a no, there's no half in. I can't half fly, right? I'm either fully invested or I'm not. If I'm fully invested, then I'm going to go in and I'm going to own every repercussion that goes into whatever happens. And I'm going to right. own that because it's mine. Right. And I made the decision. Once right. I make that decision, though, I may be a one through 10 on a scale of where I need to mitigate risk. And so that one through 10 may be, you know what, today I'm a 10. Not only am I ready to go fly, but I'm firing on all cylinders. I'm right. well rested. I'm not clouded by any distractions. I am going to absolutely kick ass today. Right. Other days I may go, you know what? I'm like a five and I'm going to need some help. So I share that with my formation in an open environment. And I go, look, I'm a five today. I didn't get as much sleep as I would have liked. I'm still a one because I'm good to fly, but I'm still distracted. I have light distractions. Hey, we're flying into mountainous terrain today. There's going to be some factors there that are going to take away some of our attention. Oh, by the way, it's a great sheet ride for me. So I'm being evaluated. Oh, crap. That adds a little bit of pressure, right? So right. My, my, my one to go fly is still there, but I'm not that 10. And so right. now, but when I communicate those things, now other people are aware of it. Mm -hmm. And we always say the first thing that goes in aviation is the communication, right? Mm -hmm. You say aviate, navigate, communicate. When communication drops off, what does that tell you about the person operating the airplane? Right. Okay. And they're pedaling. Right. Even outside of an operational flying standpoint, I mean, from yeah. a just human interaction standpoint, if you really think about it, when you've worked around someone or live around or, or, or just been around someone long enough, you start to pick up on those signs of, oh, OK, yeah. something's going on. You yeah. know, if you really think about it, I mean, I mean, again, sports example, go back to that world. Think about, you know, you know, Curtis, when someone is injured, 
you know, and they want to, it does them no good or the team any good. If they're not performing at the right level, it would be dumb to say, well, you need to go suck it up and we got to, we got, you've got to do this. I mean, it's not good for them or the team. Right. Right. But I mean, we, well, they do Dave, but other times what happens is, you know, your coach knows it, the trainer knows it, other players know it. Say, Hey man, you need to sit this one out and get better. Right. My point is we do that a lot of times from a physical standpoint. We don't do that from a mental standpoint of we mental fatigue. Mental we don't pressure. ever talk about that. That's right. We talk about physical incapacitation. We talk about physical injuries, and but we don't do that from a uh, mental standpoint. Yeah. We see people limp because they got a bum knee, but we very rarely get to see people limp. But there are signs. That's the thing about oh, there it. Is. There, there is, but we're not conditioned to look for them because we right. come from a generation of rub dirt in it and go, no, I'm I'm good. I'm going to. I'm going to press on. I'm, right. I'm actually at my end, but I'm going to hide it right? because that's how I defend myself. Right. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, there's so much biofeedback now. Every player was essentially tracked during the games. Cool. And and you can see in their jerseys, there's like a little bar sewn into the back hmm. where they can gather all this information. Yeah. And, you know, a few teams have kind of started implementing stuff where there's a little five-minute questionnaire that you have to answer when you do your weigh-in in the morning. And and that pertains to the mental side of it, just kind of where you are at mentally. But as Dave and I have talked about at length, it's still a tough conversation or does it actually mean anything when it goes to the top and they're like, hey, this guy's not in the right mindset right now. Right. Does anything change? And right. I think it's getting better, but it's, you know, if you can create that environment, for people or individuals to say stuff like that or be open and honest about stuff, it's probably for the best long term and in the short term, especially. I mean, right. And, and Curtis, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. The question you're talking about and, and Dave for us, like, I mean, I don't know, I guess I still do this, but we come back from deployment, you thought this questionnaire do you feel good you know everybody what does everybody do firewall is yeah i'm good right i'm not thinking about hurting myself i I don't drink too much i didn't kick my dog i'm good right curtis you're gonna show up in the morning like do you feel well today well of course i do you know you're gonna say no i mean (laughs) like but but that's a great point i mean that's a good that's good you have things like that that's just one one layer in the system right the other i think more important layer is is whether it's teammates or you know coaches staff trainer whatever being able to really connect with people, identify that, know what you're looking for. And again, I, I keep going back to this, but it really goes back to that getting to know each other and, and you know, that camaraderie, which we do well within the backgrounds we came from, but stressing that in other organizations. But more importantly, taking some of that that idea away, hey, it's okay, man, if if you're not ready to go right now. You know, that even at our levels that we were in, you've got to have that, um, open, honest communication. And again, that goes back to leadership. It goes back to fostering that. And, um, yeah. So, so as we wrap this up, the applicability of all these conversations, isn't just for fighter pilots or professional athletes. It's for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about all those sorts of things. We talked about your, your four, uh, the commander's intent, SA, decentralized execution and just culture. And then we talked about whether or not we can, uh, we can operate in this volatile and certain complex and ambiguous environment and keep the dirty dozen from getting too dirty on us. Right. So we want to, we want to keep those things at bay and, and, and do those things to mitigate. Right. But I think if you, if you write these things down in your life, so as an exercise, I think everybody listening can write these, these terms down and I'm going to hang some of this stuff up on our link tree. So go back and look to that. You can get to the link tree through our Instagram. But as I hang these topics up there and you take a look at it, 
literally write down what all of these things are. And I think that's a great exercise in trying to get in touch with as an individual, how all these things are impacting and affecting you. And then you can get after kind of combating it. And, and once you're aware of it, it's, it's much easier to, to recognize. Cause I think the biggest thing is awareness of all of it. And I think that's probably what you tell corporate America and the companies that you work with is and become aware of it because then you can start to address it and get after it. And right with that, Dave, you know, I'll even give you one more piece of info in that, in that part of awareness of, you know, what I call, when I talk about situational awareness, I'll talk about areas of vulnerability and you can apply this definitely at an individual level or a team level. Um, but there's kind of four areas, pair, P-E-A-R, um, that I use kind of four categories. First is P, people. So in a team, you know, what, you know, what, who, who do I need to go reference? Who do I need to go talk to before I do this? Or who should I bring in on this task or this, this job or, you know, whatever. And also people stands for, you know, what are the human factors of you people, the human errors? E is environment. You know, what type of environment am I going into or our team going into? What, what are the different environmental considerations we have to think about? You know, day before we went flying, we never went out without checking the weather, right? At a very basic level, if we're going into combat. There's a lot of stuff we're we're preparing for, right? I mean, whether it's other resources we got to know about, other frequencies, other teammates out there, what the enemy's doing, you know, all kind of different things. So, what's your environment um, from business standpoint? I was talking about, you know, what's the regulatory market environment like you're working in right now? A is actions. What does actions mean? Well, what's worked in the past and what has not worked in the past? This is really where lessons learned comes into. So after you do these debrief and you, whether it's with yourself or your teams and you develop these lessons learned, you got to make sure when you go out before you execute again, that you really think about that, bring that in. Okay. What's worked in the past and what hasn't. And then R is resources. And so it's both lack of resources and what resources can I bring to bear? You know, um, before we go into this, what what do we not have available to us? You know, what player is going to be out here? What what resource can we bring in on this? What do we need to think about? What training resources do we have? You know, so it's just kind of a guide again, you know, four areas that when I tell people, when you think about your areas of vulnerability, try to start to build that situational awareness. I always say in Top Gun, you see it, it's really cool movie, all this kind of stuff. But what you don't see is all the <laughs> the training and the mission planning and everything that goes into that before they're there. Um but, but, you know, those areas and just as a guide, again, of, of really some things to think about for yourself or your teams as you build that awareness that you're talking about, Dave, of, of those human errors and human factors. Awesome. Chris, anything? No, I, yeah, that's a lot to chew on for me. That's first. a lot. To, this Obviously, is, this I'm, is... a, I'm an athlete, so it's a very simple <laughs> I just had to stop a puck. That's it. That was you, my you did tell us. You <laughs> did tell us at the start, Brandon, stick to two or three. And we went, we went deep. No, this is... <laughs> So, so I, I want to I want to remind our listeners. So, if anybody's listening that wants to look into this, you can find Brandon Williams via leadtac.com. Okay, I think it's lead-tac. Is that right? Okay. Exactly, because leadtac for some reason is already taken. I don't know okay. why, but this this is this is stuff that if 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 I was in corporate America asking you to come in to spend an hour with you is no um, is no cheap order. Okay, so you spend an hour with us talking to us, giving us your insight and it's, and it's huge. And this is, this is a business you charge money and we're not charging our listeners. So thanks for the freebie. Uh, but no, this is, this has been really, really awesome. Definitely a lot for people to chew on, do some additional research and homework. And then the really big thing is, is reach out to, to Curtis and I and reach out to you. If, if people want to engage with you and want to yeah. uh, bring you in, um, you're available to do that. 
And so, um, yeah, and I, sure. you know, Dave, I always say that, you know, I, like I said earlier, it's, it's like, you know, leadership books. I mean, there's what hundreds, thousands probably of, of different, I mean, of all of them, some of them are good. Some of them aren't great, but none of them have the, the one answer to everything. And, and I, I said the same thing about me. I mean, I, I'm not saying this is, you should re- stop everything you do and, and start doing what I told you today. You know, I mean, I think I always tell people, if you can just take certain bits and pieces, whether it's me or any other person that talks on, you know, thought leadership or whatever, yeah. I think that's the key. Um, and, and something else I do is, is I don't just go in and slap this standard keynote on an organization. You know, it's all customized because some groups need different things to focus on or things they need to fix than others. And, um, but you know, that's, that's the biggest thing is, is, and I'm not trying to say I'm a, this is the end all be all by any means, but it, it's, if you can just take certain pieces, I think, and, and, and certain things and think about it, you know, in certain areas of your life or even, you know, your organizations or your teams, I think that's the good way to think about it. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Brandon. And hopefully uh, for those of you listening, this helps you uh, conquer some of those, uh, some of those walls with it. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate. It is intended for private non-commercial use and the views presented by your hosts or guests do not reflect on any agency, company, or organization that they work for.